Chapter Seven of the Burning Secret by Stefan Schweig. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Burning Secret. What has made them so different? The child pondered while sitting opposite them in the carriage. Why don't they behave toward me as they did at first? Why does Mamma avoid my eyes when I look at her? Why does he always try to joke when I'm around and make a silly of himself? They don't talk to me as they did yesterday or the day before yesterday. Their faces even seem different. Mamma's lips are so red she must have rouged them. I never saw her do that before. And he keeps frowning as though he were offended. Could I have said anything to annoy them? No, I haven't said a word. It cannot be on my account that they're so changed. Even their manner toward each other is not the same as it was. They behave as though they had been naughty, and didn't dare confess. They don't chat the way they did yesterday, nor laugh. They're embarrassed, they're concealing something. They've got a secret between them that they don't want to tell me. I'm going to find it out. I must. I don't care what happens. I must. I believe I know what it is. It must be the same thing that grown-up people always shut me out from when they talk about it. It's what books speak of, and it comes in operas, when the men and women on the stage stand singing face to face with their arms spread out, and embrace, and shove each other away. It must have something to do with my French governess, who behaved so badly with Papa and was dismissed. All these things are connected. I feel they are, but I don't know how. Oh, to find it out, at last, to find it out, that secret, to possess the key that opens all doors. Not to be a child any longer with everything kept hidden from one and always being held off and deceived. Now or never, I will tear it from them, that dreadful secret. A deep furrow cut itself between the child's brows. He looked almost old as he sat in the carriage, painfully cogitating this great mystery, and never casting a single glance at the landscape, which was shading into all the delicate colours of the spring, the mountains in the freshened green of their pines, the valleys in the mistier greens of budding trees, shrubbery and young grass. All he had eyes for were the man and the woman on the seat opposite him, as though, with his hot gaze, as with an angling-hook, he could snatch the secret from the shimmering depths of their eyes. Nothing gives so keen an edge to the intelligence as a passionate suspicion. All the possibilities of an immature mind are developed by a trail leading into obscurity. Sometimes it is only a single light door that keeps children out of the world that we call the real world, and a chance puff of wind may blow it open. Edgar, all at once, felt himself tangibly closer, closer than ever before, to the unknown, the great secret. It was right next to him, still veiled and unriddled, but very near. It excited him, and it was this that lent him his sudden solemnity. Unconsciously he sensed that he was approaching the outer edges of childhood. The baron and Edgar's mother were both sensible of a dumb opposition in front of them, without realizing that it emanated from the child. The presence of a third person in the carriage constrained them, and those two dark, glowing orbs opposite acted as a check. They scarcely dared to speak or look up, 
and it was impossible for them to drop back into the light, easy conversational tone of the day before, so entangled were they already in ardent confidences and words suggestive of secret caresses. They would start a subject, promptly come to a halt, say a broken phrase or two, make another attempt, then lapse again into complete silence. Everything they said seemed always to stumble over the child's obstinate silence and fall flat. The mother was especially oppressed by her son's sullen quiescence. Giving him a cautious glance out of the corner of her eyes, she was startled to observe, for the first time, in the manner Edgar compressed his lips, a resemblance to her husband when he was annoyed. At that particular moment, when she was playing hide-and-seek with an adventure, it was more than ordinarily discomforting to be reminded of her husband. The boy, only a foot or two away, with his dark, restless eyes, and that suggestion behind his pale forehead of lying in wait, seemed to her like a ghost, a guardian of her conscience, doubly intolerable there in the close quarters of the carriage. Suddenly, for one second, Edgar looked up and met his mother's gaze. Instantly they dropped their eyes in the consciousness that they were spying on each other. Till then each had had implicit faith in the other. Now something had come between mother and child, and made a difference. For the first time in their lives they set to observing each other, to separating their destinies with secret hate already mounting in their hearts, though the feeling was too young for either to admit it to himself. When the horses pulled up at the hotel entrance, all three were relieved. The excursion had been a failure, each of them felt, though they did not say so. Edgar was the first to get out of the carriage. His mother excused herself for going straight up to her room, pleading a headache. She was tired and wanted to be by herself. Edgar and the Baron were left alone together. The Baron paid the coachman, looked at his watch, and mounted the steps to the hall, paying no attention to Edgar, and passed him with that easy sway of his slim back, which had so enchanted the child that he had immediately begun to imitate the Baron's walk. The Baron brushed past him, right past him. Evidently he had forgotten him, and left him to stand there beside the driver and the horses, as though he did not belong to him. Something in Edgar broke in two, as the man, whom, in spite of everything he still idolized, slighted him like that. A bitter despair filled his heart when the Baron left without so much as touching him with his cloak, or saying a single word, when he, Edgar, was conscious of having done no wrong. His painfully enforced self-restraint gave way. The too heavy burden of dignity that he had imposed upon himself dropped from his narrow little shoulders and he became the child again, small and humble, as he had been the day before. At the top of the steps he confronted the baron, and said in a strained voice, thick with suppressed tears, "'What have I done to you that you don't notice me any more? Why are you always like this with me now? And mamma too! Why are you always sending me off? Am I a nuisance to you, or have I done anything to offend you?' The baron was startled. There was something in the child's voice that upset him at first, then stirred him to tenderness and sympathy for the unsuspecting boy. "'You're a goose, Eddie. I'm merely out of sorts to-day. You're a dear boy, and I really love you.' 
he tousled edgar's hair yet with averted face so as not to be obliged to see those great moist beseeching child's eyes the comedy he was playing was becoming painful he was beginning to be ashamed of having trifled so insolently with the child's love that small voice quivering with suppressed sobs cut him to the quick go upstairs now eddie we'll get along together this evening just as nicely as ever you'll see you won't let mamma send me right off to bed will you no no i won't eddie the baron smiled just go on up i must dress for dinner edgar went made happy for the moment soon however the hammer began to knock at his heart again he was years older since the day before a strange guest distrust had lodged itself in his child's breast he waited for the decisive test at table nine o'clock came and his mother had not yet said a word about his going to bed why did she let him stay on just that day of all days she who was usually so exact it bothered him had the baron told her what he had said he was consumed with regret suddenly that he had run after the baron so trustingly at ten o'clock his mother rose and took leave of the baron who oddly showed no surprise at her early departure and made no attempt to detain her as he usually did the hammer beat harder and harder at edgar's breast now he must apply the test with exceeding care he too behaved as though he suspected nothing and followed his mother to the door actually in that second he caught a smiling glance that travelled over his head straight to the baron and seemed to indicate a mutual understanding a secret held in common so the baron had betrayed him that was why his mother had left so early he edgar was to be lulled with a sense of security so that he would not get in their way the next day mean he murmured what's that his mother asked nothing he muttered between clenched teeth he too had his secret his secret was hate a great hate for the two of them End of chapter 7